Class is in session. This is Lent 101. This is Dive Deep. Hey there from the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. This is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith with Father Chris House and Amber Servany. I'm Andrew Hansen, special guest Michael Friedel from Our Lady of Lords in Decatur. Thanks for making the trip over. Absolutely. Lent is coming up here very soon. What are you giving up for Lent? We're going to talk all about Lent. That's why it's Lent 101. Why 40 days, the colors, the history of Lent, the rituals, almsgiving, all that sort of stuff. Some, a lot of things you probably have never heard before. Uh, and right out of the gate, something changing this year with Ash Wednesday. We're going to start with that right away, Father House, and it's because of COVID. So if you're head out to uh, Mass on Ash Wednesday and you're getting your ashes, it's going to look a little different this year. Explain what's happening, Father House. Well, we received a directive from the Holy See about two weeks ago. So at the time of recording this, um, because as we know, it's our American custom. And I stress for the most part, American custom that we put ashes on the forehead. Uh, in many parts of the world, including Rome and Italy, uh, ash is sprinkled on the top of the head. That's how ash is received. So um, we've been directed that uh, everybody is to receive ash on the top of the head, just the sprinkling, so there's no contact. And as well, actually, when, one thing that is a little different is that we're not to speak, because normally we say either remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, or repent and believe in the gospel. So we're, we say that one, one of those, either one, the priest says it one time after he blesses the ashes, and then we come down and we're to give the ashes in silence, the sprinkle on the top of the head. Hmm. So, Now, there, there's, there's power to that, though, in that uh, the history is, it's, it's really supposed to be put on top of the head. There's an no old tradition with that, and, and priests traditionally would receive it on the head because we used to be tonsured, and so that was a custom what does that of, mean? when you enter the clerical state that they would, the bishop would cut five locks of hair out of the crown of your head. Some of us are naturally tonsured, but otherwise, <laughs> but so. Wait, I never really, hold on a second. I've wait, never wait, heard wait. this. So we're going to stop with Lent 101. I guess we got an ordination 101 really quick. What the heck is, and why five pieces of hair? Well, What's five, I mean? five, five is a symbolic, five wounds of Christ. Five is a, is a, is a holy number. So, you know, it used to be that, the, yeah, you had five. That's why you see, um, in movies, you see like Capuchin monks always have the little bald spot. And that's, of course, where Cappuccino comes from because of that little light spot on top of Cappuccino. So it's named after Capuchin monks. And you know, all these things you didn't know and didn't <laughs> care to know. But anyway, so because the, the tantra was kept, they would keep that tantra going. So up until the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, when a man entered the clerical state, so um, at tantra, now it's, you have to be ordained a deacon to enter the clerical state, but at the very beginning of everything, before you received all the minor orders and that, you were tonsured. So in that ceremony, those locks of hair were cut out. So anyway, so long story short, for those who are in orders, it would be normative to receive the ashes on the top of the head. For us at, in the United States, everybody else gets them on the... You think this the, might be something that, that sticks with us going forward? Oh, I don't know. People are very attached to their ashes. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, I argue it's the third most, well, it's the third most attended day in the church here, even though it's not a holy day of obligation. But people come to Mass for Christmas, Easter, and after that it's Ash Wednesday because people want those ashes. Sadly, they won't stay for the Eucharist, but they want those ashes. So if you're listening to this, stay for the Eucharist, the most important part of the Mass or source and summit of our faith. All right, so let's get into some more symbolism about Lent. Uh, first thing right out of the gate, 40 days. A lot of symbols with 40 days, um, and, and I know you mentioned something to us in the past about even Lent, it comes from a word that even means 40, do I have well, that right? In Latin, we say quadragesima, that's the Latin name for Lent, because it comes from the word for 40, but the English word Lent 
is actually an old English word that means spring. So you got this dual thing going on. So, um, and the 40 actually comes along later. So the beginning of Lent starts with there was a fast in Rome during Holy Week. Okay, so that's how Lent as we know it began. And then the first appearance of a 40-day fast is in Egypt in the, I believe, by the third century. But that's associated with the Lord's time in the desert, not so much as a preparation for Easter. So that's where a 40-day fast first appears. Then eventually it begins to grow more and more. So in the fourth century, you had the development of the catechumenate and the order of penance, penitence and all these other things. And so coming out of that, then for the whole church, you begin to get this notion of 40 days, okay? So then Lent becomes basically going back from Easter, Holy Week, and then six Sundays leading up. And finally, in the sixth century, Ash Wednesday comes along. Because why? Because to get 40 days, you had to go further back from that first Sunday of Lent because traditionally Sundays were never counted in the days of Lent because Sundays are not considered fast days in tradition. Excuse me, the 6th century is when Ash Wednesday by started. This, yes. Interesting. Lent, as we know it, literally develops over, yeah. So by the, yeah. by the 500s, we have pretty much Lent as we know it today. Yeah. And I, I, want, I want to get back to the ashes really, really quick. What, where do the ashes come from? How, how, do you, how do churches get the ashes? Well, most of them get them out of a catalog but, uh, <laughs> from a religious goods house. But, uh, but the traditional way to do it is you, you take the palms, the old palms from the previous Palm Sunday, people bring them in, and you burn them. So you can usually tell if you have homemade ashes or if you have store-bought ashes. Catalog ashes. Honestly, because of the color. Because if they're gray... That's because they were that they were burned in the parish and they don't stick. So, and I which don't know. do you prefer? Are you a catalog guy or a burning guy? <laughs> well, see, I I am very big on the ash going on the head and being hidden. So just a, a sprinkle of fresh ash, perfect. Because the other ash that you get from the catalog, if you if you want your forehead to be a penitential billboard, that's great because you can make it this big because it's black, <laughs> it's very black and it sticks and it's very fine. Yeah, I don't know what they put in it. It's not, it can't be pure ash. There must be some, some <laughs> little oil or something they mix with it because it's dark and it sticks. Because if you use pure ash, it, it usually it crumbles right off and goes on people's Which noses. Which do you prefer, Father Freedom? Uh, I don't know that I have a preference, but my deacon was telling me a story actually about they burned their own in, in one of the parishes where I say Thomas the Apostle indicator. And, uh, and one year they, they burned their own and he said, he didn't know what it was, but it it was like pushing glass into people. Like the, the ashes were so sharp. And he said, "Yeah, we stopped burning our ashes." Well, and that's the thing: you you burn the palms, but you have to then you have to work them still. You have to get them ground up. Yeah. So this is why the catalog is maybe catching up. Yeah. For yeah. some, it's probably better that way. Just a little extra penitence. <laughs> we'll try. Well, yeah, that's true. Your whole priest. I mean, up until now, all your Ash Wednesdays, the priests were here at Cathedral when we were here right. together. So, and Cathedral always uses. It's pure ash. Well, they if, if, if they put the, the sprinkle on top of the head, it wouldn't have mattered. Exactly. If they did it the right way. All right, then, of course, the other thing about Lent are there's a lot of colors and rich symbolism behind uh, many things we see in church, but, of course, what you all wear. Father Friedel, take us through some of the symbolism we'll see during Lent as we enter churches. Yeah, so, you know, in the church, we wear, we wear the same color for... Uh, the penitential seasons, right? So most people don't think of Advent as a penitential season, but that's 
it is in the church. We celebrate, um, you know, that's why we don't pray the Gloria, for example, during the Sundays of Advent, same with the Sundays of Lent. Really quick, didn't you once pray the Gloria as like a mistake or no, something? No, I've never made a mistake during the Gloria. <laughs> Moving on. Um, probably, yeah, I think I did it just this past year, which is, makes no sense. Um, I, and I only realized it after my second Mass, which is even worse. I like kind of came to halfway through the Gloria of my second Sunday Mass and thought, I think I prayed it last night at the, <laughs> at the Saturday evening, too. But, yeah, so we, we wear the same colors. We wear that violet color in the church for, and, and it's an option for funerals as well. Uh, during a time of sadness or during a time of, of penitence, we wear the same color. And so and that's, that's why the church traditionally wears violet during those seasons. Now, with the violet, if you want to be nitpicky, like, I like to do during liturgy for different that. things. So, well, yeah, Vi- in the church, violet is violet. Okay, there's no, but in some traditions, and it literally it comes from. I was always taught, you, know, you have some violet. You have like Roman purple, and you have royal purple. So purple that has more of a blue hue, and purple that has more of a red hue. So Roman purple with the red hue was used more during Lent, and royal. Roman purple during Lent, royal purple during Advent, because because passion more the, that red hue. Actually, where it comes from by tradition was um, indigo berries, depending on where they grew in Europe. In the northern climate, they were darker; they produced darker dye. In the southern climate, they produced a uh, a redder dye. So anyway, but but with the other symbolism too, though, you'll find in a lot of parishes there's a veiling of statues. Now, when that happens. Statues can be veiled, but if they are veiled, along with the crucifix, it's not supposed to happen until the fifth Sunday of Lent. Also, there was for a while this tradition of they would remove holy water. Now, of course, right now we don't have holy water during COVID in many places, but holy water is not to be removed during Lent. That is not a Lenten custom. It kind of crept up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and still holds on in places, but the Holy See actually about 20 years ago put out a letter saying, do not remove holy water. So what's significant with the fifth week in Lent? That, that's where we make a turn. We think of Lent a lot of times as, you know, focused on passion, on the Lord's passion and death. So Lent, like Advent, both being penitential seasons, they both have two aspects of them. So in Advent, the first part of Advent is about looking to the return of Christ in glory. It's only when we get to the late Advent day, starting on December 17th, that we actually look back to Bethlehem. The majority of Lent is simply about repentance, conversion, the Lord's loving invitation to turn back to him. That is the bulk of the season of Lent. It's when you get to the fifth Sunday, actually it's the day after. So that Monday of the fifth week of Lent begins what we traditionally call Passion Tide. It used to be that the fifth Sunday was called Passion Sunday and the sixth Sunday was Palm Sunday, the Lord's Passion. Now we just refer to Palm Sunday on that sixth Sunday. So we make that turn in the fifth week where we have been focusing on repentance and conversion, and now we begin to listen to the scriptures as they unfold for us, remembering the events of our Lord's passion and death leading to the resurrection. Of course, the custom then of veiling the images that as these things unfold, basically as our sight is honed, kind of the things that might distract us are, are briefly taken away. So as these, we're supposed to also hone our own spirit to focus more and more on what's unfolding for us in the liturgy over the next. See, I two never weeks. knew that. I thought it was kind of like, you know, Jesus is, we're, you know, Jesus is going to die on Good Friday. So almost 
everyone's covered because it's like a dark and somber day well, and like, you know, we can't. Like, and it's part of that too. But yeah, as with many things in the church, there are different levels, layers to why we do what we do. Now, um, part of, of course, Lent is Fridays and you can't eat meat on Fridays. What's the history there, Father House? And what's the rationale behind I can't have a piece of steak on Friday. Well, it de- depends on who you talk to, <laughs> where that all came from. Um, there's because tr- the, it's because the Knights of Columbus <laughs> needed fish, uh, an avenue for yeah. their fish fries. Well, there is an old legend that talks about the fish industry in Italy was going, and the Pope did this. Well, the tradition was, it used to be the idea was that, and it's kind of reversed today, but at one time that meat was a luxury, that meat was the prerogative of, of the rich, and that Fish was everyone's, you could go to the river, to a lake, and pull out a fish. We know today that seafood is actually a greater commodity for us. So the idea of Friday, it's a day of, of, of abstinence. And not just the Fridays of Lent. This is something that has gotten lost. And we've talked about this in on previous podcasts, I think, that you know, every Friday is meant to be a meatless Friday, because Friday is always a penitential day, no matter what season it is. We have an anomaly this year because the Solemnity of St. Joseph lands on a Friday this year, I believe. March 19th is a Friday, which means (laughs) that on March 19th, if it's Solemnity of St. Joseph or if the Annunciation, which is March 25th, ever ends on or lands on a Friday of Lent, you are not obliged to abstain from meat on that day. Actually, you you wouldn't because it's a solemnity. It's a day of celebration. I love the Catholic Church. But for all the other Fridays, (laughs) you're not supposed to eat meat any time. The bishops allowed for, during the time of reform, that you could substitute that notion of not eating meat with some other penitential act. So on the other Fridays of the year, if you eat meat, you're supposed to do something penitential to do that. Otherwise, you're still obliged to abstain from meat. Actually, the bishops of England and Wales a couple years ago just went back. So for Catholics in England and Wales, it's no meat on any Friday. Now, I've gotten this question from non-Catholic friends, though. Isn't fish meat? Technically, we argue no. And we go through this because then it becomes a panel where you live in the United States, like if you're from Louisiana. So the whole thing about is, uh, is alligator, is that meat? Is muskrat, is that meat? Depends on Fever. different things. And bishops in different dioceses in the United States have made rulings on what you can and can't eat in that or what qualifies something about um with the blood and all that yeah i mean i'm not I'm well not. you could get an impossible whopper like we did on the <laughs> trying on the podcast well, a year ago that's that's offensive in other ways but. I when i was researching this i actually read where actually eggs and cheese were included in what you had to fast yeah. from it originally oh yeah you could have nothing with the meat stock in it no and that like nothing barbecue flavored no cheese pizza back in the day yeah, isn't that what sad. friday lunch are all about so, well, also, well, and the KC fish fries. And in, in the Orthodox traditions, and maybe in some of the Eastern Catholic ones, they fast from dairy during Lent. So, I mean, Lent is... So we're think, slacking. We really. think yeah. is yeah. That, yeah. I mean, believe me, it could be it could be worse. Yeah, I, that's what I noticed when I was actually researching. Was like really what we do is um, pretty tame. not a sacrifice. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm like thinking, okay, right. so on Saint Joseph Feast Day and the Annunciation, can I do whatever I gave up? <laughs> and then I'm reading this stuff. I was like, oh, maybe I should just. You know, holy quick. You know, I want to debate this really quick because I've always taken the adage: whatever you offer up for Lent. Some people say, well, you can do it on Sundays during Lent. I think that's, that's a farce. Like, whatever you give up, you should, you should pull through, and it, it should be the whole Lent. What do you guys think? 
Uh, it depends on how you view Sunday. <laughs> I mean, in the old sense, Sunday was not a part of Lent because uh, it's the day of the Lord's resurrection. Um, it just so it kind of depends. I mean, um, but you were talking about giving stuff up, though. That's one of the things. You know, the notion of sacrifice, we have given that a negative connotation. The truest understanding of sacrifice among cultures throughout history was that sacrifice was done to bring one into deeper relationship, deeper communion with the divine, with God. That's why we sacrifice. And so, but now, unfortunately, we look at sacrifice as a diminishment or as I'm giving something up, I'm inconveniencing myself, whether, rather than I'm doing this in the hope of growing in my relationship with the Lord. So, you know, Lent is very much, I tell people, it's, it's, it's what you'll get out of Lent depends on what you put into Lent, or Lent is what you make it. So if you go into it, the attitude, not of like, I'm going to be diminished, or I have to give this up, or this is just a long march to Easter, and for six Fridays, I have to change my social plans. That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, the church puts these practices into place to help us to strip away those things in our lives that become distractions, that could become obstacles, in the hope that then we are able to grow in deeper relationship with the Lord. Because the Lord is calling us from the very beginning. We hear those beautiful words from the book of the prophet Joel in the first reading on Ash Wednesday. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart. And that's what it's all about. God's invitation throughout the scriptures for the entire time of Lent. Read the scriptures every day for the masses. Lent is an incredible love story by which God is saying, in spite of your sins, come back to me. Well, I think another thing to think about Lent, we say offer things up, maybe do things instead, because we're always in the notion of, you know, I offer up giving up no treats or maybe you no know, social media or no TV, but why not go to daily mass, increase your prayer life, increase your scripture reading? That should be another important part of our Lenten journey. Absolutely. And well, if you haven't gone to confession... What right. better sacrifice to make in trying to bring yourself closer right. to the Lord than to, to make that sacrifice of your sins? And yeah, it's, you know, it can be humiliating. It can be hard for us, but that's, that's true sacrifice. Well, here's a novel idea. Sometimes we just have to start doing what we're already supposed to be doing. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are a lot of things that we fail at on a daily basis. And it's, so it's instead of thinking of something creative... Maybe just, you know what, let me, Lord, help me, give me the grace to be doing what I already am supposed to be doing, or to stop doing what I shouldn't be doing. Now, that goes from Ash Wednesday to Holy Thursday? Yes. Now, so the Passion, uh, the Passion, Death, and Resurrection, those three days, the Tritium, uh, mm -hmm. uh, that is not part of Lent. Why do you think Good I've always said, a, I've always said like, Good Friday to me should be a Holy Day of Obligation. Like, I just think that's something, you know, I know I'm not the Pope, but... <laughs> well, because obligation is always attached to attending Mass. No mass is offered on Good Friday. That's, that's a simple explanation. Okay, all right, that's, that's, that's an explanation. But you bring up a valid point, though, that the ranking of the church, church's days, you know, Easter and the Easter Vigil, Good Friday, Holy Thursday, Christmas is actually number four. But day two and day three, there's no obligation attached to those. But yeah. I just, you know, you think the, cruci the crucifixion, in essence, the symbolism of our faith you know, the reason why we even have a chance of going to heaven and, I don't know, it's important for me I always thought it was, they were so. lumped into one mass, which is why it was only the one, because they're all three supposed to be like a continuation. Well, it's, it's a very good point, because there there, there's the three days, because, and we start, we use the Jewish reckoning of days, so from sunset to sunset, because it'll say, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, that's, that's four days. Well, sunset 
Thursday, Sunset Friday is one, Sunset Friday, Sunset Saturday is two, Sunset Saturday, Sunset Sunday, three. But it, you are correct, Amber, it is technically one liturgy from Holy Thursday to the end of the Easter Vigil. Because at the end of, we end of Holy Thursday, there's a closing prayer, and then we have the Eucharistic procession and then adoration. There is no blessing and dismissal at the end of Holy Thursday. At the end of Good Friday, at the, the Liturgy of the Lord's Passion, there is a closing prayer, there is no dismissal. There is no dismissal until the end of the Easter Vigil. So, and we have, in the funeral rites are mirrored in that way, from the wake to the funeral to the committal. There is actually, there's only the greeting at the beginning, and then there's no dismissal until the committal. So that whole mystery of death into life gets mirrored in different ways at different times in the church's life, but especially right there at the Easter Triduum. Now I want to hear from both of you priests, because the Easter Vigil is the number one mass, in the, yeah, in, in 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 the church, but yet that no one wants to that go no to. one wants to go to. <laughs> Everyone goes to Easter Sunday. So, um, if you were to give, I'm going to even let's be blunt, an elevator pitch for people listening. Why should they go to the Easter Vigil as opposed to Easter Sunday? Well, I think like with anything, it all depends on how we view it. And you know, and a lot of times for pastors, they are they're pulled because we have what there's a total of possible I guess, nine readings that the Easter Vigil can be done. Now you don't have to do all of those. There are some that are required, some aren't. When Father Friedel and I were here at the cathedral, the cathedral always has all the readings. But there's something wonderful about that. Yes, it takes time, but it tells a story. They're not random readings, and they're beautiful as you follow them in sequence and these different aspects of the divine mystery of salvation, how that's poured out there. So, I mean, there is something very full about that from the beginning when we start um, in the darkness and the fire is blessed and the candle is prepared. Um, the, the blessing of the candle is beautiful, of the Paschal candle, you know, Christ yesterday and today, the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega, all time belongs to him and all the seasons to him be glory and power forever and ever. While the priest is tracing the Alpha and the Omega, the bars of the cross and the year, and then the inserting of the five incense grains, the five wounds, by his holy and glorious wounds, may Christ the Lord guard us and protect us. All that's done at the vigil. Fires blessed, candles lit. We renew our, our promises. Hopefully in your parish, you're welcoming new Catholics through baptism. So yes, it's a long liturgy, but there's a lot to do. And it's the unfolding of why we have hope every day that our Lord has died. He has passed into death. By passing into death, he has destroyed its power but yet death remains with no hold on him, and he comes forth in the resurrection and invites us all to that same thing. So, yeah, it's a few minutes longer, more than a few, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, I mean, the Easter, I mean, if you don't like the Easter vigil, it's heaven's going to be hard. I mean, he, heaven is the eternal liturgy of praise. So it's like, just be forewarned. So, and, and that's what, like, I mean, and I there's a lot of incense in heaven, too, from what I've been told. So <laughs> don't be careful. So. But none of us have allergies. So, exactly. So there will be yeah, no exactly. coughing in heaven. You'll be fine. Yeah, I remember when I was young, and uh, I remember my parish priest really exhorting us to to go to Holy Thursday and Good Friday services and you know, I was just like, what is, what is that? You know, as a kid, I'm just like, <laughs> going to church on Thursday? No, thank you. Um, but I went, and there's just something really profound when you, like, you know, if we're talking about Lent as this whole project of sort of diving in, of really, like, giving some of ourselves to the Lord and sort of allowing the Spirit to reclaim um, 
in us uh, what, what has been lost by sin, what better way than to set aside a few evenings? You know, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday to say, you know what, I'm going to give this time to the Lord. And then to hear in the prayers of the church the way that we, I mean, recall these saving mysteries. It's, it's just, a, it's incredibly profound, um, these three days together, you know, when you get Holy Thursday and Good Friday and then the Mass at Easter Vigil. It's really, it's, you just have to experience it for yourself. And I think the people that come every year, are people that that love it and you know uh, last year when we didn't have the opportunity to <laughs> to do these things uh, in communion because of the circumstances of covid there were people that really missed those mysteries those liturgies um you know they had to to do it virtually but this year we have a, a chance to sort of reinvest ourselves in in those mysteries and it's incredible. It's just incredible. Some really good thoughts. Dio.org slash Lent. I know, Amber, you are working on that page, so we want people to head on over there. What can people yes. uh, see this year, and why should they go to Dio.org slash Lent? Uh, well, we're going to share six stories that will challenge you and six challenges that will hopefully change you. So, so way yeah. to uh, experience Lent in a whole new way, especially yes. uh, after last year and being away, as you said, Fa- Father Friedel. Dial.org slash Lent. Uh, thank you guys very much. Interesting conversation. Lent 101. We hope you learned a lot of new things about Lent. If you'd like more podcasts, head on over to dial.org slash podcast. We wish you a great Lent. We'll see you next time here on Dive Deep.